Today is the 23rd day of February, and 2024 February is slowly drawing to a close. It's always nice to see February get toward the end because we know that spring is coming. Not immediately, but it at least is, is on its way. My name is Larry Lannan. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49 dealing with communication issues. Largely this podcast, but a few other uh, things as well. We appreciate the fact you have chosen to join us today. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. And we welcome our chapter president, Duncan Giles. Welcome back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. So we um, have something I want to talk about at the beginning. We're again recording this on on the uh, the afternoon of Friday the 23rd day of February. The day before people woke up and found out that their cell phones weren't working. And AT&T <laughs> appeared to be the main culprit. I think Verizon customers, a few other companies had this outage, but AT&T appeared to be the the company that was that's really having the problem. So what I found interesting is I was watching all the news channels and sources, and they were all as interesting how AT&T wasn't ready to make an official statement, but they talked on background, no name attributed, to a lot of main reporters saying, hey, this was not terrorism. So at least they wanted that out. So we had to wait actually until the next day, which is today, for AT&T to announce what happened. And apparently, like a 12-hour outage for some people, it was in and out for some. Not everybody had an outage, and some who had it uh, less time than this. But it could be up to a 12-hour outage for some people where their access to the Internet, uh, mostly cell service. Their explanation was a coding error. (laughs) Coding error. I don't know about you. Duncan, but here's AT&T, one of the backbones of our whole infrastructure for technology in America. And AT&T has big contracts with the government, right? Absolutely. Very big. If if, if AT&T had gone down, would we have toll-free service? Would we be able to make phone calls within our... uh, uh, you know our our governmental system. I mean, that's what worries me. And and I, if it was a coding error by the government, okay. But this was a coding error by the private company we all depend on. It just shows that you know people are people, including companies. Um, according to Mitt Romney, you know companies are people, my friend. Um, that that it's humans. You've got humans doing it, and. According to AT&T, this was human error when somebody was supposed to put in a set of ones and put in zeros or whatever happened. Yeah, it's interesting. Those ones and zeros I learned in the 1960s in a data processing class are still around. <laughs> That's still how you code. Isn't that something? <laughs> so uh, at least everybody was up uh, later on in the day. It happened in the middle of the night, Eastern time, and then people began to to get back online and get their access later. But it just, yeah, you're right, Doug. That does show human error can happen anywhere. It can happen in government. It can certainly happen in the private sector. But I think AT&T and, and these other companies are going to be scrutinized by the Federal Communications Commission to make sure they have backup. Uh, I mean, it's one thing if, if there's an error, but, you know, do we have a backup system? I think those are the kind of questions that uh, the FCC will ask quite 
quite correctly. And by the way, just in case you don't know, NTEU does represent the employees at the Federal Communications Commission, just in case you (laughs) didn't know that already. Well, let's start off this podcast as we do with many podcasts ever since we started this. You know, it's almost been four years, Duncan. Not quite, but almost four years we've been doing this uh, this, this, uh, this podcast. And people said it couldn't be done. We couldn't last, you know, three months. We didn't know if we could last one episode. And here we are. <laughs> We're still around. But I would have to say a majority of the top stories we have had on this podcast are related to budgets, potential government shutdowns, how Congress is dealing with with budgets. We have a lot to say on the budget today. So the budget update that we have for you today deals with a couple of different things. One, just where the budget is, and of course Congress is not in session, but they are. It's interesting how uh, the Republican Party, for example, has had, had a some kind of a, an outing, you know, off uh, away from Capitol Hill, and I, I'm sure the Democrats are doing something like it too. They, they're even though they're in a two week recess, they they do still have meetings kind of away from government. So uh, they are talking about the budget and and what will happen if the budget isn't passed fairly soon. So. Tell us uh, what you know. There are there have been a few developments. Uh, tell us what you know as things stand right now. Yeah, as of right now, and again, we're talking about the first uh, set of agencies uh, are set to go on March 1st, and the majority of agencies are set to run out of funding on March the 8th. So we have a very limited time frame. I'm extremely glad that, uh, you know, Congress was able to take a long President's Day break and go on a nice weekend retreat to have discussions about this. Oh, wait, they didn't really have discussions about this. Nothing is moving forward. Um, Right now, you know, the staffers are supposedly talking. Congress comes back on the, I know the House comes back on the 28th. I think the Senate may come back a day or so before that. But it gives a very short time frame to do anything. Um, I, I saw a comment from somebody from the House saying that they were blaming the Senate for, you know, not moving forward with the appropriations. And I, I just, I was like, I, I'm in the twilight zone. Um, isn't the House supposed to be the one moving the appropriations bills to the Senate so the Senate can take them up? It's, it's just a unfortunate, it's fascinating, but it's like watching a train wreck over and over again. Uh, on this. They're going to have to, they are going to have to pass another continuing resolution. There's no way that they would be able to pass budget bills in a timely fashion uh, before March 8th. I I just don't see any way to do that. Can they pass a continuing resolution? Yes. Now, will they? That's the $64,000 question. The Speaker of the House has said he doesn't want any more continuing resolutions. I, I don't know how you solve the problem without doing that right now. Well, Axios, which is one of those news organizations uh, that's been around for just a few years now, but has a very good uh, set of reporters uh, in Washington, they posted a story recently, a couple of different stories. One said that uh, the inside people in the House Republican caucus are saying there will be a government shutdown, but it will be a short one. That's what they told us in 2018. It was 35 days. 
In fact, well, that was a mess in a lot of different ways. But there was a story posted really just a few minutes before we came on to this podcast to record. And now there's there's a segment of the Republican Party, which has a slim majority in the House, which says we're not going to vote for this if it has this, 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 or doesn't have this, this, this in it. Well, because that margin is so small for the Republicans, it's going to be very difficult for them to pass anything without some Democratic votes. And the Democrats say, you, if you pay attention to this small minority within your caucus, we're not going to go along. So what I see is the potential for a train wreck. I hope not. But, uh, you know, we, we want, and I think there are people in the Congress that want a budget. Some for very good reasons, other just because they know it's going to be politically damaging to them if they don't pass a budget. Because this is an election year, people are going to remember this and be fresh in their minds. So I I think we have to keep an eye on this, Duncan, just as as you and I try to do, look at the various news sources. But uh, I think, you know, we've been surprised. You know, we've had predictions from people in our national office. Dan Casper was one, admitted he was wrong. He thought there'd be a government shutdown months ago, and they come to a last-minute deal. I don't know if that'll happen now. I mean, the speaker said he wanted no more CRs before he passed the last one. So we really don't (laughs) know how credible that is. Um, we just have to see how the solution comes up. And, and the only positive thing is that there are very smart staff members of both parties who are talking to each other about potential solutions. Maybe there's something out there we don't know about. I think that's the most positive thing I can take away from this. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. And there is, you know, lurking in the background that penalty that if they don't pass all the appropriation bills by April 30th, that there's going to be a 1% cut to all government agencies. Now, the fascinating thing about this, and it's not very widely reported, you have to really dig to find this, and this was part of the debt ceiling deal that uh, Speaker, former Speaker McCarthy signed off on, is if the... Defense Department would take quite a bit of a hit if they had a 1% cut. Discretionary funds, which is where things like the IRS funding and other government agencies come from, actually they would come out okay because it would be a 1% cut from the proposed budget, not from the former actual budget. So they might end up being the same or possibly a little bit more money. So it's it's really interesting and you have an awful lot of folks in Congress who are called uh, hawks that are very much into making sure that our national defense is properly funded, and rightly so. And they're going to want to pass a budget well before this April 30th deadline. So the Department of Defense doesn't have this 1% cut. So there's there's sticks, uh, <laughs> carrots, carrots and sticks are out there. You know, to Doug, get a deal done. I'm sorry, Doug. I just want to say one thing. As a guy who made his living as a journalist years ago and still as a volunteer journalist in my local community, what I found interesting, and you passed this along to me the other day, is that all of that explanation about how this works, this 1% cut works, did not come from the Washington Post. It did not come from the New York Times or Politico or Axios or any of the, the Hill or any of these sources that we tend to, to rely on that have 
large Washington uh, reporting stats. It came from a small newspaper or news organization in Missouri, which I found very interesting. Yeah, it really was. But I mean, the way that they laid everything out in very understandable terms and how everything works was great. And you can't really find that hardly in anything else. And again, that goes to a general for me and I'm sure for you, you know, local journalism is is not what it needs to be or has been for years because you would get those in-depth kind of stories, which you don't see anymore. And I'm very grateful that they spelled this out the way they did. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on this. We'll move on, but it's 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 a it's it's a critical issue, and this podcast and our Facebook page will continue to uh, to cover this. And again, well, I'll plug the the Facebook page. Go on to Facebook. Just uh, search under NTEU Chapter Forty Nine Indiana. That exact phrase. You can like or follow our Facebook page. We try to keep any uh, pressing news up to date there. Here's a term that we've been hearing for a while, phased retirement. Now, I was telling you before we started recording, I spent six years as a manager, my final six years at IRS, and I had one particular employee who wanted to work part-time, wanted to ease into retirement. And I tried to explain to her, I said, look, you can do that, but you take a U-tit on your retirement, go to one of, I think we call them best specialists then, I don't know what to call them now, but uh, some of the experts get a ticket and have to talk to somebody and you'll see the penalty you'll pay. She did, and that next day after getting that explanation, she said, I am retiring altogether <laughs> in a few weeks. Uh, it just was not something that uh, was beneficial to the employee. In fact, you're penalized if you wanted to work part-time before you retire. So a lot of expertise is walking out the door that could be used to mentor or just help keep the agency going uh, as, as you move slowly move out of retirement. It's kind of a cliff. It's either are or aren't. Uh, but so there was an effort to, to put a phased retirement program together. Uh, to put it bluntly, it didn't work. And it's because it was not employee-friendly. So we do have a new uh, MOU. Um, we have a, uh, an agreement, if you will, between IRS and NTU to try to make this program more employee-friendly. I want to just read a quick paragraph from uh, a message that Doreen Greenwald sent out to chapter presidents about phased retirement. The MOU contains significant changes to the program. Excuse me. <coughs> that NTEU sought and obtained a major issue with the initial phased retirement MOU, and that goes back about four years, is that very few employees participated, even though there's a need for those with institutional knowledge to mentor newly hired employees. As such, it was a major goal of our team at NTEU to modify certain provisions so employees who participated would have more flexibility. In the original phased MOU, employees could only volunteer for the program if they agreed to dedicate 100% of their schedule to mentoring. In this agreement, employees will be able to dedicate a minimum of 20%, but up to 100% of their phased retirement schedule to mentoring. So you can do other things other than mentor. Duncan, this is a very positive development. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that phased retirement was a great idea, great concept. They brought it out. Employees didn't like it because, again, it was like 100%. You're doing this. That's all you're doing. A lot of managers didn't like it because it's like, well, I don't want to lose them from 
doing their field work or phone work or, you know, casework, whatever it is that their uh, particular specialty is. So there was an awful lot of resistance to this. Um, and we've been working on this. National NGU has been working on this for a while. And the chapter presidents that were on this team and uh, our director of negotiations, Ken Moffitt, uh, and the other national NTU negotiators came up and, you know, did what looks to be a pretty solid plan now that will give employees more options, as you said, to do this anywhere from 20 to 100 percent. And it'll make it something more viable for for people that, OK, I want to help the organization, but I'm getting tired of going into the field all the time. Or I'm, you know, answering the calls all the time. How can I help the organization and give my knowledge and spread that somehow and be able to do these things without, um, you know, totally doing it all the time. And I think this is going to accomplish it. Now, right now we're waiting. It has to, uh, we've come to an agreement and in any of these memorandums of understandings, MOUs, uh, we have to wait until it's called agency head approval. They have to go all the way up to make sure that everything that we agreed to is legal and is acceptable to them. And then either uh, when we get agency head approval or 30 days, then we can start rolling it out. And so hopefully by mid-March, we'll be able to see this advertised on things like USA Jobs for people to be able to apply for this, to be able to go out and say, okay, yes, I'm interested in doing this. Let's find out what it is. And, you know, I want to help people with my knowledge, which I think is a wonderful thing. You know, Duncan, I think you the phrase I remember from everything you just said is when the agency must say it's legal and acceptable. And I think we have pretty good attorneys at NTEU. I don't think we agree to things that are not legal. Real issue is, <clears throat> will this be acceptable to the agency? I would think there's nothing but positive in there for the agency. I would hope that agent, the agency, and I would include tre all the way up to Treasury, would see the benefit right. of this program. Well, having been involved in a lot of these negotiations over the years, I can tell you that they've come up with some pretty interesting legal arguments that um, have, I have no idea where they're coming from, but they're saying, no, we can't do this because it's not legal. Show me the code. Show me the code of federal regulations because I don't see where you're coming from. So that can happen as well. They just want to make sure that when we come to an agreement, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, everything is done right, and so we can move forward with this. But, yeah, this is a this is a program that would benefit everyone, uh, IRS as a whole, management, employees. It, it's a win-win-win. So we're waiting for that approval, and we'll keep you posted on, on how that goes. They have, what, three? I think it's the 30-day period they have to review this. Tell me yep. if I'm wrong. Okay, that's what I remember. And also what I remember, just to kind of dovetail what you said, I can remember getting a national agreement, <clears throat> sending it up to Treasury, and there would be a provision that has passed that review three or four times in the past. And all of a sudden, the <laughs> Treasury lawyers, maybe a different set of them, say it's illegal when three sets of them before said it was. <laughs> so you just, yep. you're right. You just never know what what's going to come up. Uh, just uh, several weeks ago, we had uh, 
couple of people uh, talked to us from United Benefits. United Benefits has a contract with NTEU for our members. They give advice. They offer products if you would, uh, choose to accept them. You don't have to, but it's, it's offered. Uh, you have recently uh, taken advantage of United uh, Benefits. So tell us about your experience. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I've talked to the folks from United Benefits for years. Uh, we advertise it on our Facebook page, things of that nature. You know, as I'm getting to be uh, more seasoned, I'm like, okay, well, let me see what types of things that they offer. And uh, I, I think any member, uh, whether you're new or whether you're very seasoned, as I like to call myself, uh, there are products that they have that, um, that can benefit you. Anywhere from, you know, life insurance that doesn't require physical exams. You know, if you miss out on a Fagley period, the federal employee... Uh, government life insurance program, they have those uh, up to a certain dollar amount that don't require physical exams. They have, you know, if you're interested in turning your TSP into an annuity once you retire, they have those types of situations, which have some interesting um, aspects to them that don't just mean you're, you know, once the annuity, once you pass, the annuity goes away. They have different things along with that. But I mean, everything from uh, hospital stays to critical care to accident insurance. You know, they have a whole bunch of products and um, a lot of the um, costs of those are fairly decent. So, you know, I'm still in the process of, you know, going, talking with my wonderful wife, Kim, because we are a partnership. She's the beauty and the brains of the operation. I'm the comedy relief. Um that, you know, see what works for us, what we need, what we, um, you know, want, what's cost effective for us. So I would urge everybody to take a look at, you know, it's on the NTU webpage or if you search uh, United Benefits, they can have somebody call you, contact you, reach out and talk to you about some of the things that they offer. I'm not getting dime one for talking about this. I just want to, you know, anytime I talk about stuff like this, I just want to help members out there, folks who are listening, to say, you know, this is another thing that NTU, with in partnership with United Benefits, offers that it's worth taking a look at that's something that might benefit you, that might help you and your family. Anything you can get like that, I think, is a wonderful thing, and it's worth talking to them. It doesn't cost a thing to talk to them. Well, you know, Duncan, you said that your wife is the beauty in the brains, and you're the comic relief. You know, my wife's a beauty in the brain. So whether I provide comic relief is a, is a matter of conjecture. <laughs> I'm not so sure I do that. I'm not sure what I do. I just kind of say, yes, ma'am. Uh, something that has been an issue with the federal government ever since I entered the federal workforce in 1983, and my father was a civil servant well, his most of his adult life before he retired— and there's always been discussion about what do we do with the federal employee hiring process. It's always been lengthy. It's always been difficult. It takes time. And the, the argument lately with the way our society is and the way we move much faster today with technology and everything that we have had in the past is that we miss out as a government and a lot of really good employees because we just our hiring process is just not what it should be. I know you have a little something you'd like to say about that today. Yeah, I sure will. Um, 
first off, I, I will give credit to the IRS. They know that it sucks. And I'm just going to be real honest with that. Our hiring process sucks. Part of that is, um, you know, the site that we're under, USA Jobs, it constrains. Because sometimes, you know, I just heard, actually, I heard another one today where somebody said, well, you know, I'd love to hire for these jobs, but I haven't gotten any certs. I haven't gotten any applicants. And an employee said, well, no, here are some applicants who have applied. And the hiring official said, those have never gotten to me. So you have situations like that. Then you have the situation I talked to uh, just recently, a uh, gentleman who just joined us from IT, very qualified um, in his specialty. And I asked him, I said, you know, how's the hiring process? And he just sort of looked at me and I said, no, I want to hear it. Um, from the time that he applied, and this is a job that's very much in demand. IT is very much in demand. From the time that he applied before he got a tentative job offer, not a firm job offer, a tentative job offer was about 10 and a half months. That's ridiculous. There's no excuse for that whatsoever. Uh, it took him about another month after that to get the firm job offer uh, that he applied to, and I hope he has a great career here with the IRS. Um, but, I mean, when you're talking about that long of a process from start to finish, we absolutely can't have that. And that was one of the keys on the 22 national agreement negotiations. Management wanted a process, a hiring process that would be quicker, that would be able to be more nimble, and that would be able to you know bring more people on. And so far, they just haven't hit on that. I, I know for a fact that there's at least one good person working on this, and I hope that they uh, I hope that they let that person do what they need to do to try and fix this, because it definitely needs some help. Because we need more people coming into the service, and we need them hired quicker and done the right way. And what we have now just is not cutting it. And Duncan, it should be mentioned here. You served on this this bargaining team, and you mentioned this many times when you were on that bargaining team, that it was very clear to you toward the end that this is what the management wanted. They wanted a, a better, quicker, more efficient system to hire. And um, how should I put this? I think that that's, that's an issue that NTEU is not against. NTEU is okay with that as long as, and these are the, the big thing, the merit system principles are respected. And, uh, and on top of that, that all the civil service basic rules are, are, are also followed. So, you know, we don't get into people hiring their friends and, that, and relatives and that kind of right. thing, which is not the way the merit system is supposed to work. And I think from what I recall, Duncan, you felt that you had come up with a very good set of solutions, yet as they are being rolled out in practice, you just don't seem to, I, I wouldn't say you, but the agency has not found a way to, to actually make that efficient system uh, become real. One, one of the problems um, that I've found with the senior management at IRS, to be honest, is we have too many folks who've been saying, well, we don't do it that way. We, you know, we've been here this long and we just don't do it that way. We like the way we do it. Well, the way you do it doesn't work. You need to look outside the box. And I'm famous for being in 
negotiations or, you know, making suggestions to anyone from the commissioner on down to say, you know, we need to, you know, I'll come out with a suggestion out of left field because we need to think outside of the box because what we're doing and what we've been doing hasn't worked well enough. Our hiring takes too long. Our retention is not good enough. And we need to solve these things by improving the hiring process from the start. So I'm... I know they're good people working on this, and I hope they can come up with a better solution sooner rather than later. And I want to make it clear, and you said this before, NTE wants to be part of the solution, and, and we're willing to Absolutely. do that. Uh, I want to tell you a quick story. I spent four years uh, as a news report, news morning news anchor, and I covered stories during the day for a radio station in Columbus, Indiana. And one of the people I got to know was a man who – who did the emergency management. He was running the emergency management system for the county. It was not a full-time job. It was a part-time job. His full-time job was a jet pilot for the executives at Cummins Engine Company. One of the major reasons there's an airport in Columbus, Indiana, with a long uh, landing strip is because Cummins Engine has at least one, maybe more, jet aircraft and, you know, Cummins is an international company, an executive or set of executives may need to fly off to India or China, who knows where, on a moment's notice. So they do need uh, uh, to have those jets for a very clear and important business reason. But there's another side to that. Corporate executives and owners and so forth, CEOs, who take that, pers- that jet that they use for business and use it for personal travel. When that happens, that creates something, I don't know, we call it taxable income. And this is something that IRS, of course, has a great interest in. Having been a tax law specialist, I know there are just incredibly complex calculations you have to make to figure out how something like a corporate jet used for personal purposes is supposed to be um, valued. How, how do you come up with a taxable income amount? That's not easy. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But IRS has announced that, that the agency is going to go after the big corporate jets used for personal purposes. I think that's a good thing. I think it adds credibility to the agency. Absolutely it does. You know, that's one of the purposes when the IRA was passed that we said, you know, you give us the tools will be able to go after these higher earnings and the loopholes out there. And, you know, folks in Congress, some folks in Congress are saying, well, you're just going to go after the, uh, you know, the smaller taxpayers. And there was a commitment, no, it'll be over folks making more than $400,000 a year. And this is one of those things that's on there because I don't know many folks that are making less than $400,000 a year that have a, have a private corporate jet. I, it may just be me, but there may be some out there I'm not aware of. But, I mean, those are the types of things that we need to take a look at to make sure that the tax system is applied fairly and correctly. And that's the one of the main core values of the service. We need to make sure that everybody's paying their fair shack taxes and it's being done correctly. And this is part of that that's been let go for too long, but because of the fact we're able to hire more people, we're able to hire people that are specializing in things like this and are able to train them to look for things like this that'll make the service better, that'll bring in more money to reduce the deficit and prove that the IRS, as we've said for decades, 
if you invest in the IRS, you're going to reduce the deficit. You're going to increase the money coming in because we're going to get the taxes that are fairly owed. Not going and picking on somebody, but taking care of the money and collecting the money that should be in the government coffers. Well, wait a minute. So you mean that the NTU chapter presidents don't have their own personal jets? Uh, I do have a personal jet. It's about uh, yay long. Um, it's a, called a paper airplane. It uh, doesn't get me very far. <laughs> okay, that's, fair enough. That's about as close to a per- private jet I come with. Just fly the thing across the room. Yeah, that's about as far <laughs> as you're going to go. Okay, Duncan, time for your final comment. Uh, yeah, my final comment today is something uh, very special that happened um, 44 years ago yesterday. Uh, it's called The Miracle on the Ice. And this was the story of the United States hockey team beating the Soviet Union hockey team in the Olympics. This is a team nobody gave a shot to. Nobody said we'd be able to do anything. We got beat by that very same team by a score of 10 to nothing a month previous to that in an exhibition game. And this, uh, folks that don't know, we were going through something called the Iran hostage crisis at the time. There was a lot of, you know, malaise in the country. And this truly brought everybody together. I mean, the entire country was brought together by this. And it's one of the things, the events, I'll always remember watching that uh watching that game on TV and just just absolutely blowing my mind. And that's what I think the American people can do, whether you're a family of two, a great big family, a workplace, whatever. If we have a common cause and we can pull ourselves together, folks in America can do anything. And that's an, that's an incredibly important and special thing because you can't say that about a lot of countries, but in America... We can do this if we pull together. And things like, you know, passing a budget, we can do this if we pull together. So I just urge everybody out there, you know, strengthen your bonds with your spouse, your family, children, whoever it may be, because you can do stuff together. Yeah, what I remember most about that game was the coach uh, talking to that team right before the game. And he just gave this rousing speech. And he said, you know, we play this team 10 times, they'll beat us 9 out of 10. But they're not going to beat us tonight. You know, and, and what a message that was. My final comment is this. Uh, sometimes, Duncan, you have very dangerous work when you work for the federal government. And this is not something I always consider as dangerous work. Did you realize that President Biden and his family had a dog that bit Secret Service agents 25 times, <laughs> 25 times, what, during the time that uh, he had, I think, the Secret Service, and quite frankly, everybody said, you know, as much as you may love this dog, this dog has got to go. So, I mean, let's face it, Secret Service work is, is dangerous enough. Yeah, you know, Secret Service exactly. used to be used to be part of IRS, used to be part of Treasury. So we had kind of a connection with them. But then when government was reorganized after 9-11, they became part of the uh, Department of Homeland Security. But uh, yeah, 25 bites. You know, there's an old uh, saying. I, I took a course in tort law years ago where they said every dog is, is entitled to one bite. But the dog is not entitled to 25 bites. So <laughs> that is my... 
final comment. Duncan, thank you so much. And thank you for watching and listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. We're very happy that you chose to spend a little of your time with us today. Uh, you know, I know that uh, move, just listening, watching to the very end can sometimes be a bit of a chore, but we're happy that you did that. And if you like this podcast, let other people know if you think uh, other IRS or federal employees would like to, to hear this conversation, Duncan and I have mostly weekly, uh, please let other people know, uh, share the link. You can always get an update from Duncan Giles if you simply send him an email at nteu49 at aol.com. nteu49 at aol.com. He can send a, a link to you every week. We have this. But in the meantime, again, thanks for watching and listening. Be safe and be kind. Be kind.